Hey everyone, welcome back to the Semi-Nice Podcast. My name is Taylor Peterson. I will be hosting today's episode. I am hopped up on some Diet Coke and we got some great stuff to talk about. We got the national debt, how I broke my face in high school, and the color of dreams. So let's get to it. The Semi-Nice Podcast. Anyways, I was wondering if you would like to join me in my quarters this night for some toast. talk about uh why no one really cares about the national debt anymore uh but why you should so let's talk about where we currently are at with the national debt under president trump so in 2019 or in the 2019 fiscal year government revenue through taxes totaled roughly 3.38 trillion dollars but expenses totaled 4.53 trillion dollars making a deficit of, this is a deficit of one year, one year deficit of $1.1 trillion. So it's funny because Trump, when he was running for office, one of his campaign promises was that he was going to reduce and cut down the deficit. Uh, I think maybe even at one point he said he was going to eliminate it. Uh, But the problem is the Trump administration has set new records for defense spending. In fact, it uh, looks like the Trump administration is set to set a new record for defense spending. As estimates show, by the end of 2020 fiscal year, co- defense spending will reach $989 billion. Uh, a lot of the recent growth in debt under Trump as well is due to the 2017 uh, Republican tax cuts, which saw drops in revenue across the board, uh, not to mention the 50% loss in revenue from corporate taxes. Uh, and the Trump tax cuts will continue to reduce revenue over the next couple of years. Uh, but the great part, or the argument for tax cuts, is that although some of the cuts uh, reduce revenue, some of this reduced or lost revenue will be mitigated by increased growth, uh, which also pairs with increased tax revenue. So we've kind of seen that almost a little bit with the recent growth and the booming economy. Uh, but either way, the Trump tax cuts are set to add $1 trillion over the next decade alone. That's regardless of other spending to the national debt. Uh, but this also varies depending on who you ask. But the main problem uh, with government spending is the terrible distribution between mandatory and discretionary spending. So mandatory spending is spending that Congress does not have to approve or regardless, I guess, gets passed regardless of Congress approval, in the sense that Congress does not have to submit an appropriations bill to set the budget and set the spending. So, for example, uh, during government shutdowns, mandatory spending is not the issue because that will go through. And that is composed mainly of social welfare programs, Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. A lot of this growing in the 1960s under Lyndon B. Johnson. And then on the other side, we have discretionary spending. And discretionary spending is spending that Congress must submit in the budget every year. And that has to do with defense spending, the EPA, other infrastructure, veteran benefits. And so in reality, for example, if you look at the recent government shutdown, 
what Congress was really fighting over was the discretionary spending because they have no year-to-year control over mandatory spending. Uh, and the problem with that is that discretionary spending takes up about one-third of current government spending, and the other two-thirds of government spending uh, is mandatory. So the only way to change mandatory spending is through majority vote on appropriations or budget legislation. Uh, and that has to go through both houses of Congress. But being in a split Congress right now and being with a lack of focus on that, that is very unlikely to happen anytime soon. Now, I'm no economics or finance major, but the problem with the growing debt is that obviously as you have a growing debt, you have to continually make payments on it. But as your debt increases, uh, the more your interest increases as well. For example, in fiscal year of 2018, the federal government spent more on interest than it did on budget areas such as veterans' benefits, transportation, and the administration of justice. And uh, you can look it up over the next couple of years. Things will slowly be eclipsed by just interest spending alone on the deficit. Uh, and it's projected to continue to grow quite rapidly, the interest payments, that is, uh, rising from a total of $389 billion on interest in fiscal 2019 to $914 billion in 2028, and it's going to total $7 trillion over the next decade, and that's on interest of the debt alone. And I think one of the scarier things is that the cost of paying this interest on the national debt is projected to become the largest federal expenditure within a few decades, consuming one-third of federal taxes, and that's a rather generous expectation, and that's assuming continued load interest rates. So let's take a quick jump back in history while we're talking about the national debt, shall we? So let's talk about, because one of the great complaints about the national debt is how much it grew under President Obama. For example, before Obama took office in January 2009, the national debt was roughly $10.7 trillion. Uh, but that's not to say there wasn't great growth of it under President Bush either. Uh, there was a lot added on due to the war on terror and post 9/11. Uh, President Bush also injected some of stimulus or some of his own stimulus packages through Congress, similar to Obama. So it was growing, but it hadn't grown. It, it wasn't comparable to what Obama did while he was in office. So just to restate, when Obama took office, national debt roughly 10.7 trillion dollars. By the third quarter of 2016, as Obama was set to leave office, the debt was roughly $19.5 trillion. Yes, under Obama, he added $9 trillion to the national debt, an increase of 86%. A lot of that, of course, is due to the stimulus packages. I think it was from 2009 to 2012, national deficits or federal deficits exceeded $1 trillion consecutively every year. So obviously a lot of that was due to the 2009 economic crash, a lot of stimulus packages there, which if you look at, you know, in retrospect, you'll hear both sides saying that, you know, it's kind of like the FDR argument where, oh, he didn't really do anything and it kind of recovered on itself where it was necessary to save certain areas of the economy. So it's debatable what he did, but either way, bottom line, $9 trillion added to the debt in eight years. And the problem is that currently Trump is set to add roughly the same, especially if he uh, gets reelected in 2020. For example, like we said this year, $1.109 trillion deficit. And if that has been going on the last couple of years, it's set to continue the next couple of years under Trump. 
then we're in some serious trouble there. The problem is we need serious talks in Washington to address the national debt. I mean, when was the last time you heard a politician say, hey, we need to control our spending, or hey, we have a massive national debt. We need to reduce that. Or, hey, we're going to have massive interest payments that are going to consume a massive part of our GDP. And when was the last time anyone said something like that? The problem is that we need just a huge deal on the deficit, a big bipartisan effort to acknowledge where we're at, have honest negotiations, and get the deal done. For example, like I guess one of the ideas that has been put out there is that you need a penalty to bring people to the to the table. For example, recent penalties for debt negotiations, like forced negotiations, are usually tend to be in the form of a government shutdown, a debt limit default, or deep automatic spending cuts. For example, in 1983, Social Security reforms were motivated by the impending trust fund exhaustion that would bring automatic cuts. But as we've seen today, in today's environment, like we should say, shutdowns and debt limits have proven to be rather ineffective in negotiations and actually quite dangerous as it forces rather than bipartisan deals forces some watered down or lopsided partisan that gets repealed or causes more anger and it just hasn't been produced any healthy legislation so what we really need is a new series of penalties of some sort of automatic cuts and another issue with resolving the national debt is that the american people they got to be on board like then there is for some reason, the national debt has fallen out of the public eye relatively since Obama left office. And it's been pretty much over 20 years since any decent budget deals were made. Uh, there was quite a few between 1985 and 1997 to help balance the budget. But the difference was a lot of this was driven by voters' concerns over the deficit. And these polling concerns made spending cuts and tax hikes a much safer move for politicians at the time. However, currently, there does not seem to be any public outcry for decreases in government spending. In fact, a recent survey by Pew Research showed that citizens prefer to increase or maintain spending across the major 13 government programs that fall under discretionary, or I guess under mandatory as well, some of them being education, Medicare, infrastructure, unemployment assistance, social security, health care, etc., etc., in fact, we've seen a large shift in desire to increase spending since 2013. Uh, currently, it's about an even split between those that say they want a smaller government and those that prefer a bigger government with bigger services. And this really shifted in 2017. And prior to 2017, more Americans preferred smaller government than bigger government. But now we're seeing kind of a 50-50 split between the two. Uh, not surprisingly, this split is pretty... Uh, divided along partisan lines, as 74% of Republicans say they want smaller government with less services, while 67% of Democrats say they want bigger government with more services. And it's funny considering, you know, this trust, and especially this recent push, this recent desire to have more government services and more government hand and things, because it's still, uh, trust in the government is at a historic low. In fact, it's been more than 40 years since public trust in government surpassed 50%, uh, except for the one exception being the brief period following 
So on top of all this, another study done by Pew Research in January of 2019 shows the huge decline in concern over the federal deficit. Right now, what's being pulled as the top three concerns, well, at least in January, were strengthening the economy, reducing health care costs, and improving the educational system. The last time we saw surges in concern were kind of, as I mentioned, when annual budget deficits exceeded $1 trillion from 2009 to 2012 consecutively. But as the deficit declined every year, we saw a corresponding decline in public concern. But with a recent rise of... Of federal deficits, we have not seen a corresponding rise in concern over the debt. For example, six years ago in 2013, 81% of Republicans said that reducing the deficit should be a top priority, as did 65% of Democrats. However, today, only 54% of Republicans and Republican-leaning independents say that reducing the, the deficit should be a top priority, while 44% of Democrats and Democratic independent leaners say reducing the deficit should be a top priority for Trump and Congress. So we have good reason to think that unless the public makes more of an outcry for this, then we won't see anything. Uh, there's actually studies that talk about dynamic responsiveness with Congress in passing legislation uh, for in response to the American people. It shows that the status quo will not shift unless there tends to be a great response or a great shift in public opinion. Only when a great shift occurs tends to be when Congress acts or enacts legislation in response to the public concern. And as long as we kind of see this middling concern or, you know, lack of concern for the rising national debt, then it's likely that we really won't see any legislation. We won't see any efforts to correct this at all. But the last issue that needs to be addressed with concerns of correcting the federal deficit is that the government needs to engage in good faith negotiations. The last time that this happened over budget concerns was between Clinton and the Republican Congress. Uh, at one point, they were set up for budget negotiations, and they spent a lot of time demonizing each other in public and publicly attacking each other and trying to you know, sway lopsided deals, even running television ads against each other. And this caused a really lengthy government shutdown and nothing was achieved. So two years later, same president, same type of Congress, they approached uh, the negotiation table with open priorities. Both were willing to make generous concessions with no public bullying and no leaks. And this led to a bipartisan budget deal that was followed by a balanced budget the following year. The only problem is we haven't seen anything since then, especially with the ramping up of partisanship and the general vitriol between both sides. Uh, it seems that Republicans and Democrats have really forgotten how to work with each other, let alone even tolerate each other in, in uh, Washington. And another problem is that with these negotiations, all these past negotiations really picked up the low-hanging fruit. You know, they picked at the one-third, they picked at the discretionary spending, the modest tax changes, uh, slight cuts in defense. Uh, but the problem is all that's really left and a really glaring issue is going to be or is mandatory spending. For example, Social Security and Medicare systems face a $100 trillion cash shortfall over the next 30 years, while the rest of government spending, i.e. these discretionary programs are projected to run a $16 trillion deficit. So the problem is 
it's going to take a lot more than slight defense cuts and, sh- and social spending cuts. Uh, and, for example, a lot of people say, well, we need to just tax millionaires. We need to tax the 1%, which would bring in some revenue, but not nearly enough to cover this shortfall. Not nearly enough to really cut down the national debt in any serious way. So we're going to need some serious, serious reform to correct this. So to all you politicians out there, get off Twitter, drop your useless partisan hearings and actions, like stop eating fried chicken while you hold bar and contempt, and rebuild relationships and learn to negotiate. Because the deficit, as much as you want to hand it off to my generation, it's not going anywhere, unfortunately. I mean, I wish it would too, but we can't just, you know, act like it's not there. It's really the elephant in the room. But the problem is, this public, this concern really needs to extend to the public as well. There's an old adage that there is no such thing as a free lunch. So when you get uh, 2020 candidates coming out and saying, yeah, let's do free health care, let's do free education, that's fine. That sounds like a great idea. But you got to realize that there's got to be some serious costs because it's either going to come through massive deficit spending or it's going to come through insane tax increases. You cannot expect to just slice down military spending and have it pay for all these massive programs. There's got to be some something else to help balance it out. And there's just there's just no such thing as a free lunch. And it seems that everyone right now is like, oh, yeah, let's just, you know, let's just spend ourselves into oblivion. And then, you know, when I get to 50 or 60 and I get to their ages, I'm like, oh, great. You know, now what? Thanks. Thanks for doing something that I didn't want to participate in. So the problem is what we need to do now is we need to start with some modest reform. And it just at least has to be in the conversation. It at least has to be in budget proposals. Otherwise, who knows? We may end up like Greece did not too long ago. Remember that? And on that note, that's the politics we got for today. I'm very important. Uh, I have many leather-bound books. And my apartment smells of rich mahogany. I'm friends with Merlin Olsen, too. He comes over... On occasion. <laughs> Alright, so on another less dreary note, let's get to my personal story of the day. So I was sitting here thinking, man, what am I gonna, you know, what am I gonna say today? I haven't had any, you know, just nothing was coming to mind. And it all changed when I thought back to my sophomore year of high school. So I guess there's, like I said in my first episode, there's a couple of good stories that will come out of my sophomore year of high school because I was really dumb. But today we're going to talk about the time that I face-planted on my way to school. So at my high school, every Wednesday was late start day. So normally our school started at 8.05, 8.10. Honestly, I don't really remember because I was usually a little late. But uh, Wednesdays we started at 9. So we had early morning seminary or early morning, morning Sunday school. So I would go to that at 6, come home around 6.50, and then just go back to sleep, wake up, and go to school at 9 on Wednesdays. Uh, at this time, I wasn't driving yet, so I did a lot of skating. In the, for you young kids out there, I was skateboarding around, and I was skating around town. Uh, one time, my mom even said I was just skating through life, uh, but that was meant to refer to me not trying very hard, as I've said it happened in that era of my life. Uh, but anyway, so I was running late to school, as usual. I grabbed my skateboard, and I started to skate uh, away from my house and to go to school. So I was skating across a patch in uh, on an intersection. So it was kind of like cement in between asphalt. And I didn't see a gray rock that was the same color as the cement. 
And for those of you who have ridden a normal skateboard, I'm not talking longboards, I mean just a normal skateboard one you do tricks on and stuff like like in the movies. If you ride one of those with the hard wheels and you hit a rock, it stops you and you will just eat it. So I was mid-push, you know, have one leg up, one leg on the board, and all of a sudden, boom, I hit this rock and I go down. It's like my hands hit the ground, but they didn't really stop me at all, and my face just smacked against the cement. And I just remember, like, being there kind of dazed. And my neighbor was out walking her dog, and she just, just was like, oh. I don't even think she said anything because, I mean, it sounded pretty brutal. It sounded like, you know, smacking your skull against the cement. But the thing was, I had to get to racket sports my first class. Uh, it was, I had to make, you know, get my last PE credit or whatever my sophomore year. So I was signed up for racket sports at the time where I just play badminton and racquetball. And I knew if I didn't get there on time for my first period that I wouldn't be able to get in the locker room and change and I would lose my credit for the day. So I kind of, you know, get back to my feet and I get back on my skateboard and I just start skating to school again. So, you know, I'm skating down some hills and I, I get kind of close to the school finally and I cross a busy intersection in front of the school to go up the last hill to get on campus. And as I'm, you know, pushing up the hill a little bit, this lady in this minivan actually slows down, pulls to the side of the road and says, hey, hey, are you okay? You're bleeding. And I'm like, what, what? You know, and I, I, I reach up towards my eyebrow and it's kind of split open and it's bleeding all over the side of my face. So I was like, no, no, I got to get to class. I can't, I can't miss racket sports of all classes, you know? So I think I managed to get on campus. I went to the nurse's office, cleared out my, you know, split eyebrow a little bit, made it to class, made it to the locker room, changed and got my credit for the day. Uh, but I think when it comes down to it, that was kind of like the worst injury I ever had skating, mainly because, one, I, I wasn't really that good, <laughs> but uh, also it was just really in the moment. I, oof, just thinking about smacking that sound my head made when it smacked the cement. Uh, luckily, no concussions, although that's yet to be seen. If I have any CTE down the road, it might be from this instance, but yeah, that's the time I broke my face on the way to school, but I kept going because I knew I had to get that credit for racket sports. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty. All right, so let's get to our last segment. Let's talk about today's fun fact. So today's one is just a little random. Uh, fun fact of the day is that before the advent of color television, 75% of people said they dreamed in black and white. But recently, in a recent survey, only 12% report doing so. And this was bolstered by a study in the 1940s that showed this was before, you know, the invention of color television, that three-quarters of Americans, including college students, reported rarely or, quote, never, quote, end quote, seeing any color in their dreams. And this is now reversed. It's just, you know, interesting fun fact makes you think about what we intake during the day, how it affects our brain. I mean, obviously, there's not a whole lot that's known or can be proven about dreams, but I think it is interesting to know kind of the unknown impact that it's having on our cognitive mind. So that's today's fun fact. Uh, lots of people used to dream in black and white, color TV came along, and now lots of people don't dream in black and white. Alright guys, and that's what we got for today. Thanks for tagging along. I know the debt went on for a little bit, but something I feel very strongly about, so I'm glad we were able to do this together, and I hope you got a kick out of the time when I just, you know, was so determined to get to racket sports, and a little fun fact about, uh, dreams in black and white. So, thanks for tuning in. Hope you subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or if you're listening to this on the web. Uh, we're also on CastBox for the Android users that don't have Spotify. 
and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks again.